0: This feeling of wanting to share something of yourself to find fulfillment, uh, to be connected to something larger than yourself, um, to have meaning in your life. And if people, you know, if someone gives you a vehicle or a platform to do it, chances are you're going to like rise to the occasion and actually not everybody in the world will respond to this, but enough people will. And, And I am so motivated and inspired to find what makes people, you know, whether it's their talent their skill, their work network something about them that they can share to make the world a better place. And in our, in our case, it's around ending hunger.
1: Hello, and welcome to the conspiracy of goodness podcast, where you'll hear conversations that generate one aha moment after another for you. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows nearly enough about yet. It is so well hidden by the negative noise in our media that I'm calling this wave a conspiracy of goodness. You know, if you are listening to this podcast, it's probably because you are part of that wave. You are probably part of a remarkably important uh, wave of givers and doers and helpers in your circles. And the guests on this podcast will give you inspiration, joy and fresh ideas about how to continue that key role you were absolutely right to hold out hope for humanity. It is still an amazing world out there and we're going to introduce you to some of the people making it that way. Every week, no matter our topic, you will take away a few pearls that you can use every day to see and be a part of what's right with the world. So thanks so much for joining us. Hello, I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of the mothership of this podcast, a website called the goodness exchange. There you can have instant access to positive news that is not rising to the top of our feeds, articles, podcasts, interviews, videos, and links to newsworthy insight and innovation going uncelebrated. The purpose of this podcast and the goodness exchange is to put a spring in your step again so you can live with less fear and far more joy every single day we're here to shine a light on what's right with the world and we can get started on that right now today we're going to meet debbie shore it's sort of breathtaking what we're going to get into here today folks debbie is co-founder of an organization that has fed close to 2 billion meals since the campaign called no kid hungry began that's billion with a B. Oh, I've just got goosebumps for the second time. Uh, Debbie's story will give you many nuggets of insight and inspiration to take into your own life from this moment forward. The organization that started No Kids Hungry and many other campaigns that we'll talk about today is called Share Our Strength. Debbie co-founded that with her brother, uh, Billy, as a response to the famine in Ethiopia many years ago, 1984, you may remember. There's a great story with how that all evolved, and we'll get to that in a minute. Share Our Strength's mission is to end hunger and poverty in the United States and abroad, and however will they do that, through campaigns with the success of No Kid Hungry. Cooking matters and a whole lot more that we'll talk about. So, I am delighted to welcome Debbie Shore to this podcast. I, I look at the timeline of her work and, and the service of this big goal and see a charter member of the conspiracy of goodness. So, welcome, Debbie Shore.
0: Linda, thank you. And, I, you know, I just, I'm so happy that you're uncovering um, all these positive and um, encouraging, uh, optimistic works around the country. I think that's just great. And I'm so happy to be a part of it. So, thanks for having me on.
1: Well, I'll tell you, um, you know, there's just no shortage Yeah, we, we, we just, we could probably do an episode a day. If I had the resources to put that together, there's that much good going on in the world. And I'm sure you run into it every day because I mean, that's the source of your success is all Uh, these giving hearts and minds, right?
0: No, it's exactly right. I mean, as we think about the name of the organization, um, share of strength, it's, it's something that I honestly, I think, I think about almost every day. Uh, to me, we have, we have about five core values that are um, part of share strength that when we started the organization, we named as really important values and they're all important, but probably for me, sharing strength is the most important or the one that I think about most. I shouldn't say it's most important. It's the one that I think about the most. I don't think I okay. meet a person without thinking about, you know, what, what value they're bringing to the world and what strength they have to share. So, uh, you oh, know, sure. the name to me is like, such an important part of um, how we've been successful over all these years.
1: You know, and probably how we've been successful for millions
0: of years. Right, yeah, I mean, people, you know, my theory, and just kind of saw this happen in India, which I know we'll get to uh, eventually in mm -hmm. this conversation, but this feeling of wanting to share something of yourself, to find fulfillment, Uh, to be connected to something larger than yourself, um, to have meaning in your life. And if people, you know, if someone gives you a vehicle or a platform to do it, chances are you're going to like rise to the occasion. And actually, not everybody in the world will respond to this, but enough people will. And and (laughs) I am so motivated and inspired to find what makes people, you know, whether it's their talent, their skill, their work, their network something about them that they can share to make the world a better place. And in our, in our case, it's around ending hunger.
1: Mm. During the pandemic, I started to realize that, that more people, like there wasn't like the mass resignation. I, I, I called it the great questioning. I think people were starting to question that if I do what I'm doing right now, another five years, where, where will I be? I, I may have more money in the bank, but what yeah. about, what about my heart? What about my hands? Yeah. what, yeah you know, where will I be? And, you know, the way you guys started, um, the way I understand you guys started sharing your strengths is a pretty remarkable example of this, discovering what you're uniquely built to contribute. Yeah. Tell us that story. Let's tell us that story. Cause I guess I don't, I suspect you didn't start out even thinking you'd ever be where you are now.
0: You know, I, I, the path we took, no, but the vision, yes, honestly. Um, yes. our path has changed, and uh, you know g- grown and uh, become very different over the years. but but the the original idea of finding ways for people to share their strength to end hunger uh, and doing it very specifically at first with the restaurant industry because we believe that you know restaurants care about hunger because they feed people for a living. This will resonate with them. This was an instinct we had. We, hadn't worked in restaurants. We I'd never worked in a restaurant. We didn't know any restaurateurs or chefs, but in fact, they became the backbone, uh, the lifeblood, the energy behind share strength in, in a lot of different ways, ways that we could never have imagined. And so we started out with this core belief that everybody has a strength to share and this belief that um, restaurants and chefs would would this would resonate with them and this happened as you mentioned uh, at the at the outset of the show in 1984 when my brother and I were both working on Capitol Hill we were working for a young senator named Gary Hart who ran for president he was senator in Colorado ended up running for president and when that campaign ended um, it, we were it, this was my brother's brainchild to share a strength really I have to give him credit for thinking of it but he called me right away and. He became partners uh, within yeah. probably hours of him reading the article in the New York Times about Ethiopia. And it was, you know, tens of thousands of people were dying and millions were at risk uh, due to a drought, a, a famine that was occurring in Ethiopia. And what struck him was that sometimes there are things in life that government may not seize upon right away or or may not ever seize upon, but that an mm-hmm. individual... Uh, can, can respond to. And so I always think of this for my brother as almost a physical response that he had to reading this article. And he called me and and it was very quick. I mean, he said, I want to start an organization that is responding to hunger and poverty, not just when there's a crisis, but in an ongoing way so that we can build a movement um, around the country, around hunger. And, and we quickly realized that, or thought about chefs as our first kind of line of defense, if you will. And so we we went to chefs and restaurants and, and raised money from them at the beginning uh, for the first couple of years. And then No Kid Hungry came much, much later. Uh, but but still, the restaurant industry has given us a platform to reach out to their diners, their purveyors, their sponsors, uh, their investors. And that really became, as I said, the, the, the foundation of the organization for many years. Wow.
1: And you, you guys didn't start out rolling in cash, right? This was, this was,
0: <laughs> oh no, we had lots of crazy, oh, no. my brother, you know, had to um, you know, get another mortgage. I had to borrow money from my, I was living in a house of, yeah, uh, you know, room. I had roommates in a, in a house in Washington, DC, and I couldn't, you know, they had to float me for the rent for, for a while. So we were definitely just uh, kind of jumped in pretty quickly and raised money from our, our network of family and friends that we could until we started, until the flywheel started to, to churn a little bit. But our, one of our first big um, donors I was talking about the other day, we're honoring her in LA. Next week is Alice Waters, the oh. chef from um, Chez Panisse in Berkeley, California. She responded to a kind of a cold letter that we sent to her. And she responded with a generous check and an offer to help. And her offer to help, you know, by sending letters to the chefs that she knew in California and other prominent chefs of the day, responded by sending checks as well, and we started to understand this power of leadership. You know, they didn't know us, but they knew Alice, and if Alice Waters was supporting something, they were gonna they were gonna look at it and seriously consider it, and in fact, supported it as well. So that that started the the chain of events with restaurants across the country.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, the power of of giving, you know finding your way, your own way up a ladder, also due to the kindness of of people above you. I mean, yeah. that's, that's all of what I've seen in the, in this conspiracy of goodness, this movement of people to, to see some, see a problem and solve it. It requires a moment like that. Almost everyone has one.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and giving people the chance again, to, to do what they do for a living which is how the Taste yes. of the Nation came and Chef Cycle and all these, all these fundraising platforms that we have is really was an effort to say to chefs and sponsors, you know, engage in the way that you work, engage in the thing that you love, engage in your passion, engage in your, your field. And that's, that's the, you know, to me, that's so inspi- as inspiring today as it was 35 years ago because people naturally, I think it's universal. Yes. They want to be engaged
1: and be a part of something bigger than themselves. I yeah. I think that's a fundamental thing. I I know I've recommended it to my kids and young patients and stuff or even patients you know that lost their job during the pandemic. You know, volunteer for something you care about and and there you're going to find your what you're uniquely built to cri- contribute very likely. Who knows, too, the, a paid member of the staff might retire and then you get sure. you find a job or you find sure. something in your calling, right? Yep. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely we got to start with what we know and and move, move from there.
0: Well, and that's where, that's where people's energy is, right? That's where their energy is. Their energy is in what they love to do. Their energy is in their passion. So,
1: yeah, it's that, that's, I think what I found. So, so the, the resonant thread through everything that, um Debbie and I are going to talk about today we're going to tell you about some fabulous initiatives that they're running that you can probably be a part of but that is the thread is that you know so much food is life and food yeah. is celebration and food is culture and it just takes us back to that it, it just it just completes a circle Debbie to me that you are finding a way to help others with something that's so fundamental to all our
0: course yeah and and i, I the only end point i'd put on this is that So many times the, the stakeholders that we work with come back and say to us, thank you for giving us, you know, you're thanking us, but we're thanking you because you're giving us a platform, um, to feel connected. So it, it really, it works both ways.
1: That really is the circle. Yeah. Lovely. Lovely. Okay. So in several places in this deep dive, I, I took, I saw the sentence, this is a problem we know how to solve. Mm -hmm. I, um, we interviewed a wonderful guy, Christopher Gorder from charity water. You might know charity water is one of the most important and successful charities in the world. And, and that's what Christopher says. He says, this is a problem we know how to solve. And in this whole world of wacky problems that we don't know how to solve, man, we got to step up on these that we do.
0: You're absolutely right. There are, there are a host of things that are, um, kind of very complex in our country in the world. Um, but hunger is not one of them. Hunger is um, about connecting people to the food they need to grow and to thrive and to be strong. And we have plenty of food in this country. We have ample food. We have not just enough food, but we have enough services and programs at every level of our country, urban, suburban, rural. Um, but what we what we often run into is sort of this this barrier of access. And it runs the gamut from food to benefits to housing to all the things that poor families struggle with. And so, one in eight kids in America struggle with hunger. And um, there are programs at their schools, right? Breakfast, lunch, after-school, summer, weekend backpack programs, plenty of programs. But there are barriers. And so, our mm-hmm. our job when we started No Kid Hungry, which is about 13 years old, I think, or that campaign. Um, that campaign was, was launched to figure out what the barriers were for kids. And one of the big barriers for kids, and we, and we focused on schools because schools are where you're going to reach the most kids at the, you know, at once. And we already knew that school meals were uh, available for, for children as is lunch, as are after school meals and so on. And so when we took a deep dive into the school system, what we realized was couple of big barriers. One is the stigma that a child might have when they get to the, because breakfast is uh, typically served in the cafeteria. And it's also served uh, in a cafeteria where if you are eligible for a free meal, then you go to a separate line or you have a separate ticket or something that identifies you. It It would depend. And kids are embarrassed. And that stigma of getting in that line really prevented kids from accessing the meal. It could also be maybe a a timing issue where parents are dropping multiple kids off and going to work. And by the time they get to the cafeteria, it may be closed and they have to go right up to first class, first period. Uh, And then there's just some general lack of information about the availability of school meals, but mostly it falls in those two categories, the stigma and the um, timing around getting into school. And so the way that we approach that, and this was after talking to, you know, Uh, principals and school districts and and everybody involved and community leaders, what we realize is if we could get rid of that stigma, if we can get breakfast into the classroom and make it part of the day the way lunch is, then you're going to see a a dramatic increase in accessibility and in kids um, receiving the meal. And of course, our, our government, our federal government reimburses for every meal, 100%. So money is not the issue in terms of getting the meal, but barriers like the stigma or getting breakfast into the classroom, maybe we have to uh, fund a cart that is being brought in. Maybe we have to fund custodial services to make sure that the rooms are clean afterwards and talk to the teachers and the principals and the school administrators, uh, almost one by one when we started, which is a slow way of turning that ship, but changing the way breakfast is served at school was our Became the North Star. How do we get breakfast out of the cafeteria into first period, where kids are gonna get it and they don't feel the stigma of standing in a special line or a different colored ticket, or they don't have to worry about getting to school in time, you know, in time for the cafeteria. So that that's been the work for um, a big part of the work, not all of it, but that's been the big part of the work on the ground for the last uh, 12, 13 years, and we've added three million kids to school breakfast. And by the way, once they're once breakfast is served in the classroom, it stays. Why? Because the teachers recognize that the kids are fed, they're ready to learn, their behavior changes, their visits to the nurse go down, their behavior improves, the attendance improves, schoolwork improves, tests improve, everything improves. And so they're not about to you know, make that change once they see the benefit of breakfast in the classroom. And, and they've known that. They A lot of teachers keep a snack in their drawer for students because they know they're not ready to learn. They know they're hungry if their heads on the table, if they um, aren't paying attention, there's a good chance that they're hungry. And so um, that's that's been the focus for the last um, several years and will continue to be as we add other initiatives onto the organization, no kid hungry and getting you know breakfast to kids will remain a priority.
1: No. Um my, my husband comes from a big giant family. Uh, mom didn't work outside the home. Um, and dad did what he could, but they, he was hungry a lot a mm-hmm. lot. and it's easy for lots of us to be totally disconnected from this topic.
0: What's it's invisible, right? Yes. Hunger. Unlike, unlike Ethiopia, where you saw right. hunger in, in a way that was, we don't have here. Thank goodness. We don't have starvation in the United States, but we have hunger and it's invisible, which is why, you know, what you're saying is so prevalent.
1: You know, and the reason why I mentioned that about my husband's situation was that nobody would have looked at his family and known that, that they went to bed hungry or that they, they went off to school that way. I mean, they were this lovely, amazing family that was contributing to all kinds. He had a sister with a disability and, and his mother was so great about making sure she was part of the educational community and so forth yeah. and so on. So there was lots to look at that family and, and celebrate, but you never would have known that those kids went mm-hmm. to bed hungry at night. Yeah. And so that's why I think we should really, really think about the, the invisibility of this, of this problem.
0: Yeah, that's one of the biggest barriers is just the awareness around the issue, especially in a country exactly. that is you know, the wealthiest or among the wealthiest in the world.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure there are other reasons why kids come to school hungry too. parents aren't engaged or aren't able to get the act together in the morning or it's, you know, too many things rushing around so this is a lovely thing and I'm sure you know the science, you know the, the actual science on this, give us just a few statistics about how it changes engagement in the classroom and behavior and I mean, we joke about people being hangry, grown ups yeah. or whatever but right. I mean it's a thing right.
0: Yeah, no, it's a real thing. And the one the one statistic that has always resonated with me—it's a little bit uh, old, but it's still uh, such a um, such a telling uh, uh, statistic. I think is there was a study uh, around breakfast in Maryland, I believe, that we had, and it showed that if kids eat breakfast in the classroom, their test score, their math scores, math specifically, go up 17%. And if their math scores go up, they're more likely by 20% or even more to graduate because math is a predictor for graduation, math scores. And if they graduate high school, we know that you can extrapolate from there that their chances of having a higher education and getting a better job are better. And so um, breakfast is so critical uh, for kids, not just zero to five when their brains are sort of developing at one level, but even beyond that brain development until they're 26, I believe, still waiting for my daughter to hit that age. She's 21. So by the time she's 26, she'll be fully developed, but the brain needs nutrition and food up and, you know, through those years in a much more critical way. Um, And so the teachers, I think, see this. They, They know, the principals, the school administrators, they know that they see a significant drop in uh, behavioral issues and visits to the nurse and a real increase in in attendance when breakfast is served in the classroom.
1: Yeah, it you know it's just something as simple as that. You know, you want this, you have to do that. I mean that's yeah. that's one of these problems that we know how to solve. <laughs>
0: yeah. And you know I will say that the our the, the federal government does a great thing, right? They supply, you know, full reimbursement to school. So every time a meal is pulled down there they're reimbursed for it. And it's appropriated and authorized, you know, through through Congress every time it comes up. So it's never really been at risk these this funding. Mm-hmm. but what what's interesting is that the barriers for the meals are at risk. And so that's mm-hmm. really where Sheriff Strength has played a significant role. And when you talk to governors of states who are, you know, in charge of these budgets, there's money sitting in the federal government unused mm-hmm. to feed kids. Just. Millions of dollars because they're not because the federal dollar only gets reimbursed if the child is getting the meal. So if they're not getting the meal that money just sits. And Mm -hmm. when we tell governors that they're very inspired to make sure that those funds are released and that the meals are served because it stimulates the economy. Right. It buys more bread and milk and cheese. And um, so it's an economy stimulator. It's a, a significant strategy to to fight hunger. Uh, and and everybody wins.
1: Ah, it's lovely. I'm gonna take a break and when we come back, we're gonna talk more with uh, Debbie about all this, these amazing offshoot projects they've got. Hey, Dr. Linda here. Did you know that a recent Harvard study found that exposure to just four minutes of good news each day will make you 32% less anxious? and 18% more optimistic? Just four minutes, we've all got that much time to devote to our worldview and our sense of flourishing. Yes, if you make a habit of learning about just one piece of remarkably good news each day, you can be the one in your circles with fresh insights, ideas, and a sense of strength. Okay, so that takes care of the problem in our personal lives. But what about our work environments? We need to feel like we come alive there, that we, that we have meaning and purpose there. Well, enter the goodness exchange for business. For companies that want to create optimistic and values driven work cultures, our content can give you a way to turn aspirational ideas like positivity into a concrete way of being in the workplace. In fact, employee retention and attraction, may depend on your company's ability to nurture a tone of innovation, interesting collaborations, and possibility. And most importantly, the goodness exchange can meaningfully elevate your company's wellness efforts and benefits packages, because your work culture can be offering employees something new, peace of mind and that sense of flourishing I mentioned before. Where employees' well being isn't just a perk, it's the way we care about the individuals in our workplaces. So, if you'd like to chat about infusing your culture with a tone of celebration about goodness and progress, we'd love to chat. Contact our CEO, Liesl. Her email address is info at goodnessexchange.com. Thanks. Okay, we're back with Debbie Shore an amazing thought leader in the the world of giving and doing and helping. Debbie's organization has made it possible to serve um, almost 2 billion meals to children. And the wins for society go so far. And I want to start talking about some of these initiatives that her organization has used to, to engage communities that are already involved in food and then engage us and then make sure it all filters down to some great wins for children. So Debbie, talk to us about a couple of initiatives and collaborations that you started. Let's start with Chef Cycle. I mean, I, I, I live in Vermont. We have just this huge, huge yeah. cycling community that's growing here. And that is such a yeah. great partnership, the cycling and the, the Chef community. Talk yeah. to us about Chef Cycle.
0: Well, I, yeah, I'd love to. Um, And the funny thing is I don't cycle at all. I started this platform and I've never been on a bicycle. So that was always a joke at every event. Um, It started because, you know, we have, we've garnered this uh, community of, of chefs and restaurants over the many years, and they do a lot of different things for the organization. And one day a chef actually from Australia, if you can believe, was talking to me about doing a bike ride to raise money for sheriff strength. And he wanted to ride across the country, across the US and we would sponsor it and we would you know, bring awareness to it and uh, uh, you know, get press to cover it and so on. And I said, I like the idea, but I like it better if we got a hundred chefs to do it with you, <laughs> right? So, so that was the genesis of the idea. So, so what, what ended up happening was we started to recruit chefs to ride in California. Uh, from San Diego up to Wine Country, and we decided that we wanted to have a very challenging ride, which does make it more exclusive, right? So we challenged the chefs to go 300 miles in three days, so it's 100 miles a day for three days, and it required, and there was a lot of thinking behind it because it required such a commitment, and they had to raise $4,000 in addition to to ride. And what that required is months of training for these chefs and other people could ride as well with them. So my brother, Billy rode and our CEO rode and I was kind of you know, the orchestra leader, but not on a bike and working with uh, you know, a, a great management company that was helping us with the route development and security and support and gear and stops along the way. And we built this incredible ride that I always say it was almost like, uh, there was real blood, sweat and tears throughout the entire ride. Blood because people did fall and get hurt. Uh, sweat because it was very hot in California and that part of the country and tears because of the intensity when they would finish the ride every day. And this ended up raising the first year. I can't remember. I want to say it raised, you know, seventy five thousand dollars. But we ended up raising a couple million dollars after a few years with this ride because wow. they go out and we get sponsorship. Uh, Williams Sonoma was a really big sponsor. City is a big sponsor, a- and and the idea for the sponsors is, you know, this is a time for them to spend three pretty intensive days with leaders in the restaurant community and cheering them on, but also getting to know them and bonding with them. And many of them were riding along with them, so these relationships that were developed uh, and the bonds that were made were so strong. You finish a ride like that, even one day, let alone three. And your sense of accomplishment and commitment to the organization just becomes so powerful. And so, after after the ride every day, the chefs not only were they exhausted, but they would they would cook. They would cook dinner for everybody. We would be in these big parking lots where that where we were staying in motels. and the 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 parking lot would become a kitchen and dinner spot. And they would get up and they would start talking about you know the challenge of the ride, but also the challenges in their life. And it became this, cathartic uh, experience for everybody involved, really powerful. And so we still do it. We do it to this day. Our next ride is in May of this year in California. And uh, it's raised millions of dollars and engages hundreds of chefs uh, and sponsors in something that is challenging and meaningful at the same time. So It's it's just a really fun event.
1: I love what you're saying there about these relationships that were forged. We forget that our working, you know, these are probably people from William Sonova, let's say, right? And, I mean, they're real people. Yeah. <laughs> they they have connection to cooking and food. Yeah. And now they're they're with all these famous chefs. And now the chefs can appreciate them. And that I mean that relationship it, it, thing is so huge.
0: It's one of the things, one of our strengths as an organization is as a convener. So we bring together people that are advocates in a community with chefs, yeah. with corporate leaders, with CEOs, with political leaders, legislators, <laughs> teachers, lawyers, doctors, we bring them together and together, they're making a big difference in their community and they're meeting each other and they're bonding together and they become you know, uh, friends and associates and colleagues. And it's something that I think Share Strength does pretty uniquely. Obviously people reach out to all kinds of supporters for their cause. <laughs> I feel like we have such a diverse industry coming together around hunger that it makes the, the work, um, it makes it fun. In addition to being meaningful, I think we bring a lot of fun to it, which is one of our core values, by the way, having fun is, is a value bars.
1: Perfect. Perfect. And you know, that is part of, you know, belonging to something bigger than yourself too. It, there has to be fun along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so tell me, tell me about Taste of the Nation, because that sounded so fun.
0: Well, Taste was the very first thing we ever did. So Taste was our first okay. event. And there are lots of them now. I mean, there are hundreds of them around the country and have been for the last 20 years. But I think we were the first one to make it a, sort of a national event. And it would basically it started in uh, the first one we did was in Washington, D.C. at a well-known hotel here in Washington. And we brought together the city's best chefs, probably only 12 or 15 at the time. And they would put out, uh, you know, a taste of of something from their restaurant, maybe a signature dish. And then we would sell tickets to the public for it and, and do a lot of awareness and um, press around this event. And 100% of the ticket sales went to fight hunger. And, you know, the chef community is pretty tight, not just in one city, but across the country. So the chefs from Denver knew the chefs in LA and Detroit and, you know, Cincinnati and so on. So the idea of spreading this to become a national event was really, a, a, the, the chefs boosted that for us in a big way. Okay. Um, and so it grew from one city to 18, from 18 to 25 and 25 to 75 cities across the United States were doing these events. And it, at the beginning, we did them all on the same day. Can you imagine? We had like 20 events <laughs> on the same day. And then it became well, if they can't do it on that day, you know, we're losing, we're losing revenue. Why don't we let people do it right. when they can? So we ended up spreading it out throughout a couple of months or a season. But what it did was it it, it, it was really a um, a market assembly for us. We, we assembled a market of restaurateurs and that became the asset that we built to leverage with all the corporate partners that we work with. Corporate partners that for whatever reason in their business wanted to associate and align but also really cared about hunger and got involved with us maybe at first through a business interest if you're working with if you're working with 20 chefs I'm not sure that we would get too many sponsors if you're working with thousands of chefs then Williams Sonoma and City and Bon Appetit magazine and then they want to be a part of that and through that they get involved in the issue and they end up becoming advocates. So, yeah, you know, again, giving them the platform, giving them a vehicle, um, to be involved, number one for their own business interest, but beyond that, to make a difference in their community and a difference in the country. And so we get the ability to um, talk with them, inspire them, educate, train them, to go up to Capitol Hill and and, you know, lobby for for the the policies that are important. and they 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 are so, grateful, I think, to, to be not just, again, serving their business interests, but to be involved in something that they didn't know how they could be. And I think share strength gives people, uh, you know, a platform to do it.
1: And that's one of the things I really want to highlight here in this, in the, in the genius that I think is in your model is that you're not trying to beat a, a square peg into a round hole. You're, you're taking advantage of what, Already, um, lights people
0: up. Yeah, and, and, and you know the the fitness world. I think. Um, which oh, I, I want, want to talk about that. Yes, as well because yes. it's the same theory. It's the same idea. During the pandemic, obviously schools were closed, and so Share a Strength had to pivot pretty significantly to figuring out how to get meals to families now that schools are closed. And so we were worked with all of our uh, schools and community leaders to make sure that we were bringing meals to a place where they could pick it up. We were getting extensions for their families. So instead of, you know, if if you had one child in school, for example, that was getting a free breakfast, now you could get, now you could bring breakfast home for brothers and sisters. And not just five days a week, but over the weekend too. These are the things that were happening during the pandemic. Um, these are the positive things that were happening during the pandemic. These allowances for the first time that our 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 local and state and federal governments were saying, we're here to, you know, temporarily, anyway, to make these changes and help when when families are struggling in ways that we had never seen before. All of a sudden, it wasn't just the poor family that you knew about. It was your neighbor. It was your friends who weren't working for three and four and five and six, seven months who were losing family members. And so the amount uh, we we were the recipient of enormous uh, generosity as many nonprofits were, certainly in the hunger and poverty world. people really came to um, to the assistance of, of the country. And they were looking at you know, the news every night and seeing lines at food banks and looking for a way to help. And so Share of Strength and World Central Kitchen and many other organizations were, uh, were as I said, the, the beneficiaries of, of uh, generous, very, very generous support. But during that time, sorry to get off track, during that time, I, a fitness guru uh, named Isaac Calpito, who I'd never heard of, um, who was a dancer and then a trainer, a fitness trainer in a studio in New York, reached out to us and said, I want to raise money for Share Our Strength and No Kid Hungry during this time. And we were like, that's wonderful. And he said, I'm going to try to raise $20,000 through my network of, of you know um, students and fitness enthusiasts. So we said, that's great. Well, he ended up raising $1.2 million online, doing his routine. He's on every uh, day at 11 o'clock for free, but he was, he would get on and he would talk about wanting to raise money from No Kid Hungry. And if you're interested, here's a link. Well, th- four months later, $1.2 million. And what that spurred the idea wow. of, there must be more Isaac Alpedos out there. <laughs> you know, there must be more fitness instructors and trainers and teachers that, again, if you give them a vehicle to help, they will. And so we started this program called Get Fit. We launched it last year and we've got, we had about 50 instructors, including um, uh, a um, a real celebrity fitness instructor, Denise Austin, who uh, is in California. She was our spokesperson, and she and her daughter, you know, everybody went online uh, at a certain, during a certain time in January, and whatever they did, they could be doing yoga, they could be uh, doing the high intensity workouts, they could be doing Zumba, they could do weight training, whatever they did in fitness online, they used as a vehicle to raise money from their from their uh, the, the the fitness enthusiasts who were following them. So that's a new platform that we think has a lot of potential. Um, you know, Athletic Greens was a sponsor, and you know, people are, again now that now they can align with the fitness world as much as they were aligning with the with the culinary world. And there's a real connection there between fitness and strength and health and nutrition. So we bring that into focus as well through this program.
1: Now, one thing I want to tell people is that everything, including, you know, I, I couldn't write it down fast enough, this link to this great uh, fellow who started you out on this path yeah, with the fitness community, we're going to put everything that you are mentioning uh, in the show notes. So if you go Terrific. to the Goodness Exchange, there'll be a beautiful article written all around this podcast. It won't just be the podcast there; it'll be a beautiful article with all kinds of clips and and lots more information that Debbie and I didn't get to t- t- talk about because I can see we're running out of time already. Um, it'll all be there. The links that you want uh, um, to this fellow and all the other. Things that you're mentioning will be dutifully there, so people can connect. I've got two really important questions I want to ask you before we um, Mm -hmm. before we sign off. Uh, But I want you to talk to us about um, this new international work that Share Our Strength is doing in India and this collaboration that you've got going there, because collaboration is so much part of what you're doing.
0: Thank you for asking about that. I actually just got back from India a couple of weeks ago. Um, As we said at the beginning of the show, our mission to end hunger and poverty in the United States, but also abroad. And the way we've been doing that for years is through a small grant pool of funds that we've been donating to different organizations working on hunger and poverty. And so groups like Oxfam America and Save the Children would just get an annual, uh, basically unrestricted contribution from a grant from Share Our Strength. And then we started to say, well, let's al- line that where we can with our priority with school meals and so we did start to restrict it around school meals many international organizations work on providing school meals for kids in different countries but as we started to get to know some of these organizations we met one named Shayipatra, which is in india and they're the largest school meals program in the world um, mm-hmm. and i started to think well you know we give them i don't know 150 200 thousand dollars a year that's nice. But what if we were able to take some of that money and work with them to develop some of our, some of the innovative fundraising that we do so that that $150,000 could become a million dollars instead of 150, maybe they, in a couple of years, they're raising more than that. They had to, they had to be interested in that. Obviously that wasn't something that we, you know, pushed without talking to them about, and they got to know us. They were like, well, how did you do this? And how did you do that? And how did you do taste? And, Tell me about um, you know all these initiatives. How did you work with a corporate sponsor? How do you raise millions of dollars with corporate partners? How does your donor base grow the way it's grown? And over the years, getting to know them and their leadership, we did get to a place where I thought, you know we're sitting on a gold mine of innovation. Again, not all of it resonates with everybody. Not all of it would work in another country, but let's see what would work as long as there's interest. And so- through a lot of other criteria, which I, I won't go into now, but by looking at what we could do in India, you know, India is a very, I mean, it's a huge country with, you know, 1.4 billion people. It's, a large, it's one of the largest growing economies in the world. Um, it's got amazing um, uh, innovation and, and high technology kind of to offer. And so because of their entrepreneurial spirit in the country and the innovation that they bring, um, and this organization that is knows how to reach kids with the meals that they need, but is only held back by capacity, we thought maybe, they're, maybe this is a great organization in a country to start talking to about some of this innovation. So we went to India in October and to Delhi and Mumbai. We had a kind of a a meeting of leaders if you will from around the country that are working on a, a number of different things some political leaders yeah. but also uh, corporate partners and a lot of chefs and we talked about some of the things you and I have been talking about today and where there was interest we kind of zoomed in and said well let's let's try that somewhere so i just got back about 3 weeks ago from a city called nagpur which is in the state of maharashtra where mumbai is and a group of chefs we ended up putting on a taste event the first one ever in this t- in this town in this city, and between a lunch that we organized with prospective donors and this taste of the event, taste of, the, of India event, we raised 120 thousand dollars, and that's a huge. Tra- and translate that to rupees, it's a, it's a lot of money. And we're trying to build a new kitchen there. So the way Shyapatra works is they build community kitchens, massive community kitchens, and the food is then prepared in the kitchen throughout the evening. And then it's driven in these stainless steel vats in trucks to schools and delivered hot, nutritious meals to kids in schools in India. They have about 65 kitchens in the country. So we are going to help them build new kitchens together. We're going to bring some of those assets to bear, um, test and pilot what what could work, what would work in India that feels right to them, um, right for their culture, right for their community, and together raise awareness and new funds to. To help grow their capacity, that's that's the that's the idea, uh, and it was pretty successful in Nagpur. We have obviously a long way to go to replicate that and to scale that. But the idea is to scale what works by bringing innovative strategies to bear in in a new country.
1: Isn't that the future of of our success together, no matter what topic we're talking about? You know, I yes. I've been sharing, and we're sharing our now time after... and our
0: strategies. You know, we're we're, we're sharing what we do. Um, with With people that want to understand it and and use it to their to their benefit. Um, and so, you know, I, children in India, children in California, children in New York, we we benefit by all of them having um, the food they need to to grow and to thrive and to be healthy and to get through school and have a chance, a fighting chance to fulfill their potential, to reach their full potential. And you need more than food to do that. And I know that. We know that. Food is one important ingredient, but it's not the only one. Um, but if if we can make sure that kids are fed, that's at least one of the key interventions.
1: Well, I tell you, it's part of this. I, I've been looking at the the 130 episodes that we've recorded and the thousands of articles that we've written about folks doing good in the world like like you. And I look at it like, oh, if we're all just a little point of light out here, like there'll be a lot of people that listen to this episode who have never heard of Share Our Strength. Like we can't have that. If we want a better world, we have Thank to start you. seeking it and supporting it. And I, I think that that's where we're going at the Goodness Exchange and the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast is we're trying to pull together a constellation of organizations like yours and this this sharing of the strength could be the the gravity that holds it all together so uh, thank you and and i i hope that you and i get a chance to talk at some point in the future about this constellation because i what one thing is that all our little lights are not enough to overcome the darkness (laughs) it's just it's just plain luck if people stumble upon any of us but there what you're expressing this sharing our strength is how we can build a constellation like the big dipper that people know is there, whether yeah. it's cloudy night or not. It's just seven stars, but once right. you see it, you can't unsee it.
0: Yeah, and well, that is
1: like I, a positive worldview.
0: I think you're really onto something, um, you know, Linda, by identifying and bringing to light what what other organizations are doing. And I think it's there, there's a lot to be concerned about in this world and in this country. There's no question about it. There's no shortage of issues, but there's also no shortage of um, wonderful things that people are doing that are making a difference in their community and their state and across the country. So really grateful that you're bringing those uh, to light and exposing your listeners to it. Thank you.
1: Well, I, I can't thank you enough for your efforts in the world. And it's a, it's a testimony to the, to the impact that all of us can't have, that we can all have in measures large and small. I want to wrap up with a question, um, that I always like to, to ask these thought leaders that we're talking to, what do you really wish people knew? Like sometimes when you're just sitting at your kitchen table and maybe the negative news cr- creeps in, what do you really wish people knew?
0: Well, you know, I think we touched on it, but I would say, um, you know, to close this out, I think I, I want people to understand that there is hunger in America and that there's a way to solve it and that they can play a role in solving it. I mean, that would be the trilogy for me.
1: Mm, That's lovely. So what has to happen to make that happen? Like, I I always ask the guests at the end, like, if there's something that would just take this whole thing to the next level, and you could succeed beyond your wildest dreams, what needs to happen?
0: Yeah, um, that's a great ending question. Uh, You know, we've been talking about No Kid Hungry, which which. Is an effort to connect kids to the meals they need through the federal nutrition program, right? So breakfast and lunch and summer and after school, um, these are all federally funded programs that are available to families. There's another, but if you want to go beneath that, if you want to, if you want to find a way to uh, help families not even have to rely on those programs, right? So there's, there, that's a very different strategy, and and we are now starting to look at that as a um, a new investment for a share of strength, meaning, you know, we're going to continue to connect kids to meals because that's today and that's tomorrow. You n- need to make sure that the benefits and the food is available. But but there are also strategies out there that we're starting to look at that give families economic mobility, making sure that they are have enough resources in their home so they don't have to rely on school meals. So we're going to we're going to be doing both at once. Right. One is emerging. The family economic mobility is emerging. And we're just starting to look at that and research and understand what is possible, where should share our strength invest. And how do we make a difference in adding resources to families' lives and households so that they don't have to rely on school breakfast and meals. So we'll be doing both of those, but but I would say that's that's what's required. What's required is for families to have the resources they need. You know, yeah. there are parents who struggle with, you know paying bills, medical bills or or lights or buying food. So how do we have an impact on that household challenge? And that's what we're looking at now. That's the emerging work of Share of Strength.
1: And the children there are our future. So it's a win for all of us if we can sort they this our out. Future. That's right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Debbie Shore, for joining us on the Conspiracy Goodness podcast. I hope people will join us at the Goodness Exchange where where people who want a better world are gathering and, and can find, you know, super trustworthy, remarkable information about organizations just like this. The world really is still quite amazing. We just have to start seeking out that narrative. So thank you. I hope all the connections to goodness and progress that Debbie and I shared with you today will carry you through your week and you'll start finding all the joy and wonder that we've been talking about. Thanks. Thank you.